Welcome to the Enthusiast Music Podcast, where today we'll be discussing Led Zeppelin, specifically focusing on their first album. I'm Matt. You can follow me over on Twitter, at FromNJ2CA. The two is a number two. I'm here with my good friend John. John, how are you doing today? Doing great, Matt. Awesome, man. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SloopJ232 and on Instagram at SloopJohn232. Fantastic. Also with us, we have a special guest, Frank, for the first time on the music podcast. Frank, where can people find you? Hey, Matt. Hey, John. Um, they can find me also on Twitter at FLD15 and actually on Instagram now too, 15FLD15. That's it. There you go. Make sure you guys follow John and Frank. Before we hop into the show, just a quick bit of housekeeping. Remember to follow us over on social media. It's at Nerdthusiast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all those things. You guys can also support our shows over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Nerdthusiast. You can vote on poll topics over there, get early ad-free access to a variety of our shows, including this one. And if you cannot or do not want to support us financially, that's totally fine. We understand. You guys can also help us out uh, on the free services by liking and subscribing on YouTube. Ringing the bell helps out as well. The other thing you can do that doesn't cost you a penny is giving us a great review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We definitely appreciate all those things. And right before we hop into the show, I just want to give a shout out to Malobix, M-A-L-O-B-X, for supporting us over on Patreon. You're our shout out this month. Thank you so much for your support. John, tell us about the Yardbirds. Well, the Yardbirds are, are an interesting uh, band to talk about, and you can't talk about Led Zeppelin without bringing up the Yardbirds. The Yardbirds were a band that formed in 1963 out of, uh, you know, that British rock explosion, very heavily blues-influenced, American R&B-influenced band. Um, their first lead guitar was a guy by the name of, oh, slip in my mind, oh, oh Eric Clapton. Um so they, they had some pedigree. They had some hits. They had what was tricky about them is they always seem to just have amazing guitarists. Uh, when Eric Clapton leaves the band, he's replaced by Jeff Beck. So it's like, oh, Jeff Beck, there's you really don't you really don't lose much there. And then comes in Jimmy Page to the fold. So for a while in the Yardbirds, you had Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck in a band together. I believe that this lineup with both of them lasted maybe a year or two. And then by the end of the Yardbirds, they were, they had so many lineup changes that they were, they were starting to call themselves the new Yardbirds. Uh, Dreja, who was their bass player, basically him and him and uh, Page were not really getting along. Basically, Jimmy Page was looking at getting a new singer in Robert Plant and a uh, one and trying to recruit his uh, child uh, friends in childhood on drums, John Bonham, and that was going to be the new Yardbirds. It never really materialized, and they changed their name to Led Zeppelin. So that's where it comes to, and they they even recycled some songs that were on that last Yardbirds record that do actually appear on this record, which will uh, which I'll talk about a little bit when we get to them. But that's kind of the lead up to where Led Zeppelin came from the yardbirds dissolving was the birth of led zeppelin and then you you have uh, some notes on here they were heavily influenced by american blues uh this is quite obvious during this first album especially 
Well, I mean, that was kind of a, a theme in uh, British rock in general. I mean, you look at a band like The Who, they didn't, cons- they didn't call themselves a rock and roll band. They called themselves Maximum R&B, which meant Maximum <laughs> Rhythm and Blues, which the right. great punk uh, the great punk zine Maximum Rock and Roll took from that. They, they used the same logo that The Who used. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you had a lot of bands like that. The Beatles were heavily influenced by R&B. The thing that made Zeppelin a little different, and even the Yardbirds kind of uh, before that, was they really didn't just take R&B. They took kind of roots blues as a major influence. Like, I mean, there's Muddy Waters uh, influences all over this first record. I mean, straight out of a bayou, you know? Definitely. Yeah, I mean, you can hear it front to back. Every song has blues influence. And I feel like Zeppelin, I wouldn't say they lose this over time, but they definitely evolve over time. Bands in England at this time were even seemed to be more influenced by American blues than American bands at the time, which I always kind of find interesting. Now, what's interesting about this band is their name, Led Zeppelin. Frank, you, you kind of did a little bit of research, you know, about where we think the name came from. What was the story that you were able to find out? Yeah, so, uh, and I'd heard this a while back, wasn't too sure of how exact it was. But uh, evidently the story goes that Keith Moon, who was the drummer for The Who at the time, uh, it was friends with, with uh, Jimmy Page. And he said that, jokingly said that the band would go over like a lead balloon. And <laughs> Page evidently, according to what I researched, a couple years later decided that would be a great name for, for the band. And thus supposedly is how we came up with Led Zeppelin. There you go. What's funny is I just looked it up and it does look like the who did help name the band, but is actually a little, uh, it's a little bit of a discrepancy over who actually came up with it between John Entwistle and Keith Moon. Both, both seem to have claimed it. So who knows? <laughs> Both are no longer with us. True. Uh, when we started uh, researching for this show, one thing that stood out to me was the, the time period. And I just I just want to give it a mention. It This does not revolve around the band Led Zeppelin. Let me be perfectly clear. Uh, this was actually in, influenced by, if any band, it would be the Ullman Brothers. But this is the movie is almost famous. And this is a great movie. It starts in 1969, which wouldn't you know been around the time of Zeppelin. And that movie is absolutely fantastic. I believe it won an Academy Award when it came out. Have you guys seen this movie? And what what are your thoughts on Almost Famous? I love Almost Famous. I think uh, Cameron Crowe is just one of the great directors. I think that movie captures that time period perfectly. And the performances are all great. The songs, the soundtrack is just amazing. Oh, and so I would recommend any music fan to go watch that yesterday. So I have to go out and watch it yesterday now because I have not seen it. And I know I said that to you guys. So uh, definitely looking forward to uh, checking it out. Yeah, it's got to be on some streaming services. Definitely take a look at it. It's, you know, in general, it's not just a good music movie. It's a good movie, period. Like, it's fantastic. And being a, mu- a music fan, I'm sure I'll enjoy it. Yeah, especially if you like that time period, like it encapsulates, you know, the late, late 60s, early 70s uh, very well. Good times, bad times. Guys, what are your what are your thoughts on that song? Oh, what an opener. I mean, this riff 
Just a dan it, dan it, and that little that little drum kicking in. Like you know, you're in for something. And oh, it's, yeah. it's funny is that when I was listening to it today, all I could think of is that the Iron Maiden song "Wicker Man." I never noticed it until listening to this record today. I was like, how did I not notice? That is definitely a homage to this track. Yeah, I, you know what? It's funny. You, you came out with the great intro, and that was the first note I wrote down. Incredible intro. And like you said, it just kind of jumps right out the gate. A unique sound, too. I mean, it's uh, very, very different from anything else uh, at that time, at least. Yeah, it definitely kicks things off on a good note for sure. And it, it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the album, in my opinion, like lyrically. Uh, this song's about, you know, ups and downs and love. And this entire album is pretty much about that. So, yeah, I was going to say it's absolutely the same theme uh, for most of them. Yeah, you kind of know what, what to expect noticed, what right I, away. What I noticed with the lyrics in this song, which I think is brilliant, is they're very simple. This this could have this could have been uh I want to hold your hand era Beatles. You know, it's, it's very, and I mean that in the best possible way. It's not trying to reinvent the wheel. It's, um, it's a sixties pop song, but it's heavier. It's doing its own thing. But from a lyrical theme perspective, it is just, it, there's, it's simple in the best possible way. Absolutely. And it flows, it flows really nice. I mean, you know, a lot of times I think people listen to rock and I got my own feel of how something flows. And this to me was just like nice, even just kind of moving along, keeps you interested. It, it just has just a nice vibe to it. I don't know. The solo in it feels a little gratuitous for such a simple kind of catchy song. But that is the point. <laughs> that is the point. It, it's almost like Jimmy Page being like, here I am, guitar rock god, and this song, Good Times, Bad Times, which is just kind of an ups and downs song, I'm just going to throw in this solo that's going to blow your mind. Absolutely. And I dig that. Yeah, I mean, if, if you go through and you look at the lyrics to the songs, it's, like John said, it's very, almost every song on here, Not maybe not all of them, but most of them are, are pretty basic stuff, but it's it's not it's not about that. It's a, This band is about the music. Without a doubt. An interesting tidbit about this song, going back to a uh, little callback to uh, our KISS discussion we had before we uh, recorded. I went to see Ace Fraley back in uh, September back in September or October, and he did a cover of this song, and him playing it was great. Him talking about it was almost like an SNL skit. He After the song plays, he goes, Yeah, it's a good song, right? Uh, it's it's uh it's off that first Led Zeppelin record. If you've never heard it, I highly recommend it. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, that deep cut, Led Zeppelin one. <laughs> the next one we got up here is Babe. I'm gonna leave you. And I would argue that this is probably the the most popular song from this album. You know it's a cover, right? I did not know it was a cover. It's an old Joan Baez song. Interesting. Now, now, here's the funny thing about that. We were going to talk about Led Zeppelin and their history with plagiarism later. <laughs> I almost completely forgot about this. It thinks You think Innocent Enough, uh, Led Zeppelin covering a uh, Joan Baez uh, song? Except that when the song came out, 
they had it in their liner notes as in parentheses for song for for uh, songwriting credits traditional <laughs> so was this song like word for word like and like you know the sound like pretty much spot on from the original uh it's the same lyrics and stuff but it's it's uh i mean obviously the joan baez version is is her with an acoustic guitar because she's just a folk singer but it's uh it's but here's what i find interesting i find uh hard rockers love of joan baez to be very very interesting you have led zeppelin with this and then years later, Judas Priest had a uh, very big hit of theirs with uh, Diamonds and Rust, which is an old Joan Baez song. So I always found that to be interesting that these hard these hard rocker rock stars like had this affinity for Joan Baez. So what do you guys feel about Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You? Obviously, this is, as John just mentioned, this isn't an original song, but what do you think of their interpretation of it? It's a great well, song. The, uh, yeah, the um, I mean, obviously, here's where the blues really kicks in like, you know, in good times, bad times, it's not, you know, that much. This one, you feel the blues right off the beginning, uh, right at the beginning of the song kind of picks up, you know, you hear the, you also first time you get to hear the, the, the screams of Robert Plant, which, you know, became his trademark. I, I love this song. I, I disagree with you a little bit as far as it being probably the most popular. I what, think that what would song, you say is the most popular. I think that song well, comes too later in Dazed and Confused. I was going to okay. say, the, the song that one of the more popular yeah. films of the 1990s was named after. Matt, sometimes you throw that around. I'm going to I'm gonna have to laugh. Sometimes you throw around, you're like, this is We're the here most to popular correct you, Matt. song it's off okay. this album. And I'm like, what? <laughs> all right. We're here to correct you. It's okay. It's all good. Here's the uh, truth. I, didn't, I missed a lot of good movies. <laughs> never watched Days and Confused. I know that that's where it what? came from. Like, I know that that's where like it was influenced by. Never watched the movie, so you're yeah. out of your mind, <laughs> Link. You got see. You need to watch like you got to go back and watch every Richard Linklater movie because they're all amazing. And then he had his like unofficial sequel to Days and Confused with um, uh, I want some the uh, which took from the uh, Van Halen title, and it's and that awesome. takes place in the Everybody early eighties. Yeah, everybody wants some. It takes place in the early '80s, but you got to watch Days and Confused first because that sets the vibe. It's like his '70s movie, and then Everybody Wants Some is his early '80s movie, and they're both fucking great. If you name an amazing movie from like the '80s or '90s, there's like probably an 85 percent <laughs> chance that I did not watch it. So no, but so Everybody Wants go. Some only came out. Everybody Wants Some only came out like three or three or four years ago. It just takes place in 1983, like Days and Confused doesn't take place in the in the 1970s it was made in the 90s i'll have to go back and check that out i was going to say the other big thing to me with that song with uh baby i'm I'm gonna leave you in my opinion it's like the uh you know i wrote my little notes i put subtle hypnotizing ending like the end of the song i think is phenomenal i love this whole album from top to bottom um i'm not going to say this is my favorite song because it's not on this album but I really do like this song. It's in my top three for sure. Yeah, what about I you? Number, fan. I think it's number three. I'm, I'm a fan, and and I think it I think it was intentionally placed on the album where it's at. And I'll, I'll explain more when we get to a, a later track. If you look at like album history tracks two, three, four, like right around there, those are usually where the banger lies. It's in it's in one of those three, almost always. Would you agree with that, John? To a point, um, I, I'm a I'm a I'm a big 
fan of the album Closers. <laughs> and I'm like me, I'm a I'm a bookends guy, but I do think there's 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 something interesting about this being specifically track number two. And I'll right. get to it later. T- uh, keep listening, people. <laughs> I'll let you get to that for sure. Keep them on the hook. Now the next track is probably. I think it's probably my favorite song on the album, and it is very really? bluesy. Yeah, I really like this song a lot. It's "You Shook Me." the The bluesiness to this is fantastic, and just like Frank mentioned earlier, the end of the song where he's like, it sounds like his voice is dueling the guitars. Yeah, phenomenal. That's, that's phenomenal. my favorite part of the song. Okay, so this is where this is where I'm going to have to disagree with you. I find this song boring. I really? find it boring. Now, here's my thing. I love blues-influenced British rock. I love it. I love the idea that they have this affinity for uh, such an American art form, and I think it gives uh, British rock texture. Now, where I'm not a fan of is when British musicians think they can just play the blues. It doesn't speak to me when it's uh, British white dudes just playing the blues. Influenced by the blues? Awesome. Straight up blues, nah, <laughs> not doing it for me. Not doing it for me. That's just me. That's just me not feeling it. It's like when Eric Clapton decided he didn't need cream anymore, he didn't need me either. Really? <laughs> no, I don't want to. What do I want to hear Eric Clapton sing the blues? He's what has he got to be blue about? His his blues rock was awesome. I the mean, blues, what, not so. I mean, come on, dude, like. You know his kid fell out of a window. Like he has something to be blue about. Like, come on. Oh, I'm not. T- I'm not talking about that. <laughs> song, even though, even though, even, even though, you know, nothing against what happened to his kid. That song is terrible. But, but, uh, I'm talking about you know him doing uh, songs about being in jail. And I'm like, when were you in jail, Eric Clapton? <laughs> I, John, I love you to death. We're going to have to disagree sometimes. i got to push back. Johnny fucking Cash made amazing songs. And they were just stories that he wrote. They weren't about him. Sure, but he, did, he wasn't hijacking an art form either. I see your point. Even <laughs> yes, though I disagree with you. That's my point. point. That's, that's my point. point. I can that's see your point, point, even though I disagree with you. <laughs> that's fine. Yo, teach his own. It's, it's a subjective, subjective art form, man. It's a sub, music is a subjective music, art absolutely. form. I just, I, it's just, it's just something just does not. It just doesn't speak to me when I when I hear uh, British dudes singing straight up blues songs. Like I said, I love it when they're influenced by the blues. Everybody should be influenced by the blues. It's a great art form, but um. When they're just straight up doing it, it just it just doesn't feel it just doesn't feel genuine to me. That's all. That's all. I, That's me. I get that. I get that. Fair assessment. But I I do I love Clapton's music. I think he's personally a douchebag for his prices that he charges for his shows. They're outrageous. A decent seat at his show is like five hundred dollars, which is <laughs> come on, dude. What are you What are you doing to people? It, but it's like it's like me, Yardbirds, Cream, Derek and the Dominoes. I'm all in. Eric Clapton, eh, snooze. <laughs> it's the bands, the bands he was in, the bands that and the bands that he was the driving force behind were great. I love his band work. I just don't like his solo stuff, and that's just me. But that's why. That's but again though, that's why uh, 
not the biggest fan of you shook me uh like i said i love the, the their i love their rocking rocking uh blues inspired uh jams uh just a flat out blues song i don't know i'm kind of i'm kind of out on it what about you frank how do you feel I like this song and, and it's funny from when we were talking uh, before on this, um, I know John and I are going dis- to disagree on the song a little bit later. So we'll get to that one soon. <laughs> no, I, I like it. Is it my favorite on the album? No, it's not. I mean, I, I kind of middle of the road, but I do, do absolutely like the song. Uh, and for me, and again, you know, we were talking about how simple the lyrics and things like that were with the, you know, at the beginning of the album. I like the I love the plant page back and forth. To me, that's like the highlight of this song. It is. Um, the keyboard solo is pretty awesome too. Um, followed by the you know I, I love the harmonica. Like I I I like the flow of it. It's different. It moves around. And like I said, I just think plant and page play off each other so well. Not just in this song, but you know throughout their career. And I just think that to me that that chemistry they got definitely shines out a little bit in this song. Hundred percent. I I think that the song's lyrics are probably one of the worst. This is not their best Agreed. lyrics Agreed. at all. It's a simple. It's a simple song again. <laughs> but I really enjoy the music in the song, and and you know the way his voice will match the guitar, specifically at the end, is fantastic. Yeah, and I think, and I don't know, like being someone who DJed and and loves music, um, I think there's definitely people that are lyrics people. And definitely people that are music people. I I think there there's some people that may overlap one way or the other, but I I think there's definitely a distinction um, for many people that it's not a combination. I think some people just love music and are half paying attention to the words, and I think there's the opposite. I really do. Yeah, I definitely get that. That's probably me most of the time. I'm barely paying attention to most of the lyrics, but definitely listening to the music for sure. See, I'm a lyrics guy, but at the same time, when uh, th- there are some bands that I love that have terrible lyrics, and sometimes the, mu- and the music will compensate for that. So, I, you, you know, point. you can be both, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's a case-by-case basis. I mean, let's look... Real quick, this has to come up at least once an episode. Let's look at Guar for two seconds. Their <laughs> lyrics, I couldn't tell you a single Guar lyric from, you know, a hole in the wall. But their their music is fantastic, and their their show performance is really what you're going to see. Well, on a, on a side note with that, you need to, you need to, you need, did you ever hear the Iron and Wine cover of Sick of You by Guar? I'm sure I probably heard it at some point, but I couldn't pick it out it's, of the lineup. It's amazing. There's a video that he did that uh, it was part of AV Club, where uh, they would bring in people to do covers of. Uh, basically, you'd go in and just find somebody that had a song that AV Club had picked out but hadn't been done yet. And Iron and Wine, he's just a uh, guy with an acoustic guitar who's a singer songwriter, and he chooses Guar Sick of You. <laughs> and he does this because Guar Guar was because Guar was in the studio doing one of their doing doing uh, I think the Billy Ocean cover. So it's really funny is that he's in the studio playing the song and Guar's just staring at him while he's playing this acoustic rendition of "Sick of You." That's so awesome. Yeah, it's it's great. It's great. I'll send you a link. Definitely gonna check that out. <laughs> All right, next up. I'm going to take a backseat here since you guys have seen the movie that influenced the, you know, the song that influenced the movie. I, I have not seen the movie. Don't hate no. me. What? 
What no. planet? Like I, I thought that was a movie that everybody on Earth has seen. <laughs> Clearly not. Two out of three of us haven't seen Dazed and Confused. But John, I mean, why, I mean, why so, don't you start with this one since you have the it's most all knowledge? You, John. <laughs> but I mean, I, but the funny thing is that we're going to talk about Dazed and Confused here, obviously. But I mean, the movie doesn't. The song is. The song's not in the movie at all. <laughs> uh, it's there's. It's just. You know, it's just they, they just picked it as a cool title because it's a popular Led Zeppelin song. But I mean, so so when you're like watching like a uh, a movie or or a, or a comedy sketch where like people are like doing Matthew McConaughey impressions from this movie, you don't know it. Like when people go, all right, all right, all right. I know you it because you that's you... so popular. Like I know it's from that movie, but I'm like, I don't know. It's fucking goofy. Best thing about high school girls <laughs> Is I keep getting older and they stay the same age. <laughs> <laughs> Creepiest line in cinematic history, where people say, "Party at the water tower." You you don't get these things don't speak to you. Come on, you guys got to go see that movie. Like we should stop the podcast now and just have a. We stop the podcast. We all watch Dazed and Confused. We're gonna talk about that movie for a bit, and then we'll talk about the rest of the Led Zeppelin record. Gotta watch the movie anyway. Great song, amazing song. I mean, how iconic is this opening? How moody is this opening? Definitely moody. That that's a that's a perfect a word, word for the song. Moody is perfect a good word. word. Now here's here's the funny thing about this song. We were talking about the uh, just we were talking about Led. Ze- I was alluding a little earlier to Led Zeppelin and their possible plagiarism from time to time. This was like the first one they got really nailed on because they almost ripped Jimmy Page. First of all. He ripped himself off of a time that he ripped somebody else off because this appears on the this song appears on the last Yardbirds uh, uh, record. So oh, he had already he'd already played it in a band and he had already been having legal problems with uh, a, uh, a singer by the name of Jake Holmes, whose song it is. <laughs> Who had recorded? I mean, different lyrics, different lyrics, but the, but the you know, music is the same. But the music, the music is the same. The the the, the, the beat is the same. The I mean, the, obviously, the music isn't exactly the same. It, Jake Holmes is playing it. He's playing acoustic guitar, and he but he's saying, "I've been dazed and confused." And it's it's the same melody. It's the same. And then it took many, many, many years before in the liner notes. Now, when you when you look at dazed and confused in this version and the Yardbirds version it has in parentheses inspired by Jake Holmes I, mean... I just think it's so <laughs> funny though that it was like I gotta give Jimmy Page all the credit in the world he's like sitting there like in the in the in the bands in the bands in this like in their basement like writing a song and he's like I got an idea for a song and then they're all like wait isn't this on your <laughs> that, that 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 last album of that band you were just in yeah, don't tell them. But I swear it wasn't by anybody else. <laughs> Shit, you know, you know, I'm gonna be real for a minute. I'm not a fucking amazing musician at all, not at all. But I did play in a band for a period of time, and I would constantly think that I came up with shit, and I would play it, and I would look at Greg, who who's a mutual friend of John and mine, and I'd be like, "That was fucking great, wasn't that?" And he'd be like, "Yeah." It's this fucking song. <laughs> I'm like, "Oh shit, really?" And then he would play it, and I'd be like, "Oh shit." <laughs> Oh, I have I have a great one of that. I have a great one. I thought I came up 
with the greatest riff that had ever happened. I was so excited about it. And this is pre-social media or anything. And this is like pre like going over. And this is not in a time when I'm not in a band anymore. So I'm waiting for my bro. I'm, I'm waiting for my brother to get home from school so I can play it for him. And I am so excited. I think he's going to think it's the coolest. And he's just like, John, it's really good. It's called uh, Rebel Rebel by David Bowie. And I'm like, oh my God, it is. I'm just playing Rebel Rebel by David Bowie. I've been doing it for hours. Hours. I think that's the worst part of being a musician. You think you came up with something awesome. And it, it just, it was like in your subconscious, like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. And then you play it for somebody else and like, yeah, dude, that's already a song. Like that, that already happened. It just, it just destroys you on the inside. Yeah, but I mean, but if you listen to the other versions of this song, this is a different song. It's just funny that they 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 kind of skipped. Uh, it's just kind of funny that Jimmy Page would uh, would skip corners on the uh, on the songwriting credits because it would have been real easy. It would have been real easy just to put um, inspired by this guy, you know, at the time. Because it is their own original composition at the end of the day. It's just funny yeah. when you hear the other versions. You just had the balls to not give anybody credit. <laughs> yeah. And that guy could have been making some loot for years. Yeah. Seriously. How much money did that poor son of a bitch miss out on? I mean, the settlement was probably sweet. But, I mean, it, like, dude. Like, he had... And, and, and then he had to deal with the whole time of, like, telling people, like, oh, do you know I uh, I came up with that song? People are like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, He's sure, like, well, I got the recording. Sure. I got the recording to prove it. And they're like, yeah, you recorded that yesterday in your basement. Oh, shit. Nice. Shout, shout out to Jake. Shout out to Jake Holmes. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the best part of this uh, song is – the drums uh, by Bonham. My personal favorite part of the song. Um, yeah, again, you get you get more of the plants screaming and moaning, but I think the I think in my opinion the highlight is, you know, even though and I, again I, and and here you have so many great musicians. I mean, whether they stole stuff, stole the music from somebody else or what, they're still and like John said, you know, they made it their own and just so many great musicians and you just hear and you're like, wow, that's a great guitar. And you're like, Oh shit, that's great drumming. And you're like, Oh, you know, like you just keep going back and forth. At least I do. When I hear a lot of their songs, just, uh, you know, the craftsmanship uh, with all the different instruments. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons why they were such a, a, a great band. Unsung hero in this song though, is uh John Paul Jones baseline. Yeah, absolutely. Killer. Absolutely. And, and again, this song, another great ending, like, you know, I call it a crash ending, you know, it's just like, like, I, I love those types of endings as opposed to the, you know, the, the always, all right, we're in the studio. We'll casually fade it out. Like I love a good, Hey, you know, the song's over. Like, here you go. Now, you know, the, the other thing that is, uh, goes along with the theme of this record is that it's very psychedelic without being like a hippie band over the top. And I'm not putting putting, great point. This song, especially like, I'm not putting down the hippie movement, obviously that's not what I'm doing here, but I'm saying like, if you listen to a song like this, which is like, you think of like psychedelic, it's not a mama's and the papa's song. Right. You know, no, this is, and this song is absolutely a piece of that without crossing over into that genre, you know, separately. 
I think. Yeah, it's obviously obviously like a blueprint for like you know Sabbath that would come later. Oh man, Sabbath. Yeah, lots of Sabbath influence on uh, on this record for sure. No doubt, man. Especially their early stuff. Next up, we have Your Time Is Gonna Come. Now, Days That Confuse is probably where, if, you, if you're paying attention lyrically, this started to change. Like, if you're, if you're you know, paying attention to that. Days That Confuse, this is, you know, where a relationship is kind of, like, starting to go bad. And then the next four tracks are all about not a great place to be in a relationship. At least in my opinion, that's probably what he was singing about. Right. Um, but This Is Your Time Is Gonna Come. This is clearly not good for the. But I'll tell you what, this this intro is the best on the album. I mean, I like I like the opening intro on the album with good times, bad times. But this is like the haunting organ intro. That to me is the best opening of a song on this album. What's funny about that intro is I have in my notes shortest prog rock jam ever <laughs> but i like <laughs> it i like it but it sounds but it totally sounds like prog rock it was like you know is this is this going to be a yes jam like is this going to be the next rush out al- beginning of the next rush album and then it goes into something completely different and it's almost you know the, the, the theme i i totally dig this song for the theme of it it's it's a total karma anthem it's a you know you're gonna get your comeuppance yeah, you did me wrong. You're gonna get your comeuppance, but it's strangely pleasant. And I don't know. Like usually, those uh, those usually, I hope, I hope that woman gets hers are usually not the most pleasant of uh, sounding songs. And this <laughs> one's just kind of, it's just, I, I, I don't know if it's, I, because you know what, Matt, under normal circumstances, I don't know if I would have really totally dig this jam. I think it's the positioning where it is on the record. I think it's kind of the fun I had with what I called the prog rock intro. And like I said, it's just kind of a nice sound and it's pretty short and it's kind of over and done. I agree with you that this is a good place for it on the record. And I, I like how the record takes a turn. Like it's almost like for as not great as the lyrics mostly are, you see like, you know, I think Days to Confuse is like the peak where everything starts to change. And then this is like the downfall of like a relationship, which I really enjoy, like looking at it from that aspect. And for, for you, anybody that's younger that's listening to this, this is why you want to fucking listen to an album and not <laughs> singles. This is the reason you listen to an album and not singles. Because yeah, because if you listen, if you listen to this out of uh, context, you're 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 real. You're gonna be like, that's that's one of the lamer Led Zeppelin songs I've ever listened to. It's not very rocking. I agree. It's, uh, but but if you listen to it in the context of the record, it, I think it totally works. It makes yeah, sense. Good point. Good point. It makes total sense when you're doing that. And I'm not going to beat the dead horse, but just listen to records. Jesus Christ, stop putting that single all the time. My God. Pull out the vinyl. Yeah. But yeah, this is about being in a bad relationship. You know, your time is going to come. This is like, you know, this is the first resemblance of anything that's like even close to hatred in the, in the entire album, which is a totally different theme from the entire beginning. Yeah. And I think it's in a good spot. <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how we're talking about and, you know, where things fit in nicely in an album. And, you know, it, the world has changed, obviously, with how people listen to music. I mean, even though vinyl is making a huge comeback, 
of course. But yeah, I mean, we've already talked a, a fair amount about placement and um, it's definitely an interesting topic that I think is under looked at, underappreciated, uh, you know, more in today's world with music. Yeah. Things are definitely different right now. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a, yeah, it's cause everybody wants to, you know, you want to get that, you can get a song out super quick. I mean, there's still great records, but yeah, but you know, new single drop, new single drop, new single drop. Well, let me get your opinion on that, John, because you, you know, you obviously know way more about music than I do. I, I have different feelings about this. I kind of go back and forth, but what is your feelings about the, you know, no, no heads up release. Like it just, it just silently drops in the middle of nowhere. Uh, like how do you feel about that? Case by case basis. Like sometimes I think that's cool. Sometimes I think that's cool in a way because we do live in a world where, um, everybody knows everything about everything, uh, at all times. <laughs> so it is kind of amazing to me when like, somebody will just drop a full album out of nowhere that I did not expect it happening. It's like, Oh wait, Titus Andronicus just put out a new record. When that happen? And it's the fact that it was recorded in secret is kind of neat. Like I, I, I appreciate that. You know, it, it's, it's almost like the, uh, the Cloverfield <laughs> approach to things, you know, <laughs> like when Ted Cloverfield lane dropped, it was like, what? <laughs> like when that trailer dropped, it was like, wait, I had no idea they were making this movie and it comes out next week. I, I think that's interesting with that uh, bands can still do that today. But at times I also don't like the idea that it is more of a singles driven world now than an albums driven world. Cause I do appreciate a great record. Yeah, it's, it's funny, um, the other piece I was thinking about when we start talking about this. So being a, a, a former DJ, 90% of my vinyl is uh, made up of 12-inch singles, you know, long, you know, long club version songs, uh, club versions uh, on these, you know, extended versions of, of, of hits. Um, but I definitely have some albums. And, you know, every once in a while, what I would do is the albums that I had, um, I'd go through and listen to every song on the album, you know, and obviously it's a totally different genre. And I, I think there's a different feel to like a dance music album versus a rock album, uh, obviously. But I would listen and, and go, wow, that's a pretty bad song. Wow, that's a pretty bad song. Oh my God, this is kind of a pretty good song. I'm curious why they never released it as a single. And, um, you know, I periodically do that just to listen to new music and try stuff. And it, it's weird. You know, you find some diamonds in the rough and then sometimes you sit there and go, what were they thinking? Wow, how can they put that on an album? Like I would have listened to that and thrown it out. But, you know, it is what it is. It's a great, uh, you know, it's it, it's a great topic, uh, you know, to discuss. And, you know, like I said, sometimes you find stuff that you sit there and go, that was a great tune and was never really put out there. Well, I mean, the interesting thing about Zeppelin is they never had, if, if you look at how the music industry was five years before this record came out, it was at that time, in the early 60s, very singles driven. 45s, um, yep. Yeah, very, very singles driven. It was like, you know, when the the Beatles, the Kinks, and the Who started putting out full albums when the 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 the, the, uh, the paradigm kind of shifted to, towards records. So 
Led Zeppelin, even though they had great songs that were released as singles, were always an albums-driven band. They never had, they never dealt with that market, the uh, the singles marketplace, the way other band, uh, uh, the way some of their contemporaries did earlier years, even you know, like the Yardbirds dealt with. <laughs> so it was a different yeah, time when you got. By the time you got to the late sixties, I was going to say with the album, with the album format. And not so concentrated on having that radio single. I mean, you always had to have one or two on your record, but since you 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 could delve into having the longer song, like Dazed and Confused isn't coming out in 1963. Not even just for the way it sounds, but because of the length. You're not going to put that on the radio. Exactly. Them numbering their albums, I think, makes a lot of sense too, because it's like, okay, this is one, two. Like, it makes you want to listen to the whole album. It's not like... Their standalone names are like, oh, this is, you know, you know, whatever the subtitle is, the album, you know, I always Having wondered if it was um, I always wondered if it was uh, if, if that was by design, I think, you know, because this is Led Zeppelin self self-titled. We all call it Led Zeppelin one now because, you know, the next record was Led Zeppelin two. Right. Uh, and then there was Led Zeppelin three and then Led Zeppelin four actually didn't really have a title. It had some bunch of weird symbols that yeah. everyone just called Led Zeppelin for. Or Zofo. Um, <laughs> so so, uh, so I always wonder if it was by design or if they were just right, you know, coming up when Led, by it was time it was Led Zeppelin 2 to come out and they were just like, yeah, we spent all this time writing these songs. Uh, we don't need to get all creative with a, with an album title. <laughs> two. Let's put a two up there. People still buy it if it's called Roman numeral 2. And they were right, I mean, you know? Right. From the video game side of things, that's all Sony's been doing for years, man. PlayStation Five. <laughs> do you think? Do you think the next PlayStation is going to have a subtitle, or is it just going to be PlayStation Six? Come on, PlayStation Six: The Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, find something that works, run with it. Your time is going to come. Was on there, and then we have Black Mountain Side. Now this had no lyrics. This was just a uh, instrumental instrumental track. How did you guys feel about this one? I've always felt that this was the beginning of the second act of the record. Uh, this was just kind of uh, all right, all right. We're just we're, we're you're, you uh, you're getting to your seat from the movie theater during intermission because they used to have intermissions back in the day, and uh, this is the uh, this is the start of the uh, second act. That's how I always felt this song to be. It's a nice little uh, pleasant sounding song with. Jimmy Page showing you what he can do on an acoustic guitar. Certainly impressive musically. I feel like this should almost be a step up, though. I feel like this should be probably before your time is going to come. I feel like that would make more sense on the album. I think it's a fair uh, opinion. I think they're just kind of interchangeable in that regard. And I I don't think you're wrong. Uh, I don't think they're wrong either. That's my only issue is I, I wish it was one song up and it would have felt more correct in the album to me personally yeah no i see your point there with that this definitely to me has a folky sound to it it's the best word i can come up with not quite folk but to me it has a little bit of that feel to it oh for sure for oh it definitely does and i i think i think they had uh just as many I, i think they had the same love for uh American folk as they did uh, American blues. Obviously, the blues yeah. is more uh, more flamboyant, more you know personified, exemplified in the in their sound. But I mean, 
they did a Joan Baez cover earlier. Clearly, they you know they they like some uh, they like some American folk too. Next up is Communication Breakdown. I mean, the title says it all. This is about two people not getting along as much anymore, starting with the the communication falling apart. I think lyrically, this is probably one of the better songs in the album. Um, musically, it's fine. It, it's good. It's good. But I think lyrically, this shines a little bit brighter than most of the songs. How do you guys feel? Well, I, I think this one, to me, this total left turn here, like on this album, I like the song and, and here's where I know John's going to disagree with me. To me, this is not, this is far from my, one of my top songs on this. It's totally a different feel. Not that I dislike the song, but to me, it was like a surprise transition. And like I said, just a different vibe, just a different feel. Definitely it's kind different. of more your crash, your heavier, your heavier rock. But not, again, not a dislike for the song. Just to me, one of my, you know, least favorite on the album. And then there's me. <laughs> this, is my, <laughs> this is my absolute favorite song on the record because I'm a riff guy. I'm a riff guy, as as you know, Matt. I I adore the riff. And this riff is a riff and it's chugging, you know, it's just real. It's a jackhammer and I, I love it. And it, lyrically, it, it kind of goes back to that theme we had with um, Good Times, Bad Times, where it could be in a lot of ways a classic pop song, but it's just harder. It's faster. It's a machine gun. Actually, one of my uh, one of one of the few moments I love from the blaze bailey era of uh iron maiden is their cover of communication breakdown and i don't know i just i just love this song and yeah it's it's just it's just rocking to me i definitely like it too it's it's more like frank was kind of pointing at it's definitely more unique it stands out it's like it, it does kind of surprise you it's like oh this is different this is not what you've heard the entire time i think that's what i like most about the song but to your point about the lyrics going back to good times and bad times, it's 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 not complicated. There's no complicated lyrics on this album. Let's put it that way. There's none. But I think as far as the album goes, this is probably leaning towards the stronger side on, on the lyrics. And musically, it's, you know, I would say it's interesting musically. Like I said, I just love it that it's like it's like a chugging jackhammer. It's uh, I and I it and is. I'm a riff and like I said, I go down to the I'm I'm a big I'm big on riffs. That's that's my favorite thing to do is pick up my guitar and come up with a riff. Um, not the greatest guitarist in the world, but I can come up with a riff in a few seconds, and I feel like I almost feel like this was Jimmy Page messing around at practice, just coming up with a riff, and everybody everybody in the room went. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna use that. We're gonna use that. I agree with that. And the wailing uh, Robert Plant uh, vocals in the, in in the uh, in just the very beginning of the song. This was definitely. Re- I mean, I don't. I I haven't looked up chart positions of Led Zeppelin singles in a- any kind of way in recent years, but I have to imagine that this was recorded to be the radio single. Yeah, it's under two and a half minutes long here, right? It's really yeah. short song. Like this is this this is something you could throw on the radio. I mean, it comes on classic rock radio all the time, but uh, it, it's it, it's it, it fits to that uh, that audience. I could definitely imagine being a uh, 
being go driving to high school in you know 1968 and just having this on full blast yeah this is a blast song yeah agreed so communication breakdown turns into i can't quit you baby which he doesn't say on the album he says babe which we just discussed a moment ago which you guys aren't going to hear this is a struggle obviously from the lead singer's point of view uh you know if you put yourself in his position or her position trying to get out of a relationship, not understanding how to do it and, you know, being drawn back. You know, I think that's incredible. Like that's like, I don't know if you've ever gone through that in your lives, but I have, and it's fucking bizarre and strange. And this song really encapsulates that very well. See, what I find interesting about this song, and this is what I was talking about with uh, Baby, I'm Gonna Leave You, where it was positionally, uh, where it was strategically positioned as number two. I think this was strategically positioned to be the second to last song with the theme of Baby, I'm Gonna Leave You being the second song and the second to last song being I Can't Quit You, Baby. (laughs) I don't think that was... Do not think that was... uh, (laughs) That was very much on purpose. I agree 100%, man. Very strategic. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. Like, normally you have the bookends. They have the second and second to last song being the the ones that fit a theme. And I I totally dig it. I do like this song because it is just kind of their... uh, continued love of the blues in, in the forefront in the spotlight they're wearing it with their uh you know they're wearing it they're wearing their heart on their sleeve so to speak and you know that would be the hallmark of their uh the rest of their career yeah for sure the and, and again you get the plant and page back and forth just uh, you know they're just so much in sync with each other the guitar the guitar riffs on this are ridiculous uh the speed and I think probably, and I, and again, I know we all have our own opinions, and I'm all for everybody's opinion. I, I like the guitar on this better than pretty much the guitar on all the other songs. I can see that. Great, great, great guitar it. work. Yeah, great I mean, you know, it's not like you're sitting there like like you were you were saying before, Matt. It's not like you're saying that. Eh, that's not good. It's like this is even better. You know what I mean? It's just like a different. Sometimes some songs just a different level with with. Uh, some of the instruments this album reminds me much of wayne's world where he's like in the car and they're talking about zeppelin and they're like oh you know not, <laughs> not every song was amazing but you know every song i did see that was, movie like, by the way there, there's one movie <laughs> i saw <laughs> i didn't want to have a long list of movies i had to go see at the end of the night so i made sure i saw something that you guys were going to talk about look, look dazed and confused i'm going to go back and see my, my wife is confused, that, so and, confused and immediately afterwards watch everybody wants some it's, gr- it's a great back-to-back watch i heard that was good so i, I might have to check that out as well link later is a genius finally the album ends with how many more times and this is like somebody who who was in love, who's lost their mind, who's, in my opinion, you know, trying to go back. Um, it also could be interpreted a different way, which is this dude has too many kids. <laughs> he's wondering <laughs> how many more kids he's going to have. So, I mean, it, I don't know. I see it two different ways. Like, he doesn't talk about kids the whole album, and all of a sudden he's talking about kids in the last song. It doesn't make much sense. So I think it goes back to his theme of love throughout this album, which is, you know, 
he doesn't know how many more times he's going to continue doing this. What do you guys think? Well, what I really put into this, I guess, I guess, you know, we were talking about how sometimes you just don't really pay attention to the lyrics. I don't really pay attention to lyrics with this, with this one. Um, so I'm going to assume everything you said, Matt was, was spot on. And you can take it either way. <laughs> Dude, it's really bizarre. Like he, he clearly <laughs> is talking about children at some point, but it's yeah. like, why, why would you take this last turn at the, you're at the end of the road and all of a sudden you cut the fucking wheel like hard as shit and start talking about children. It doesn't make any sense. But what, 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 what this song really does for me is that it just kind of puts into the forefront the, the, the chemistry between Bonham, John Paul Jones, and Jimmy Page. Like the musicianship, the collaboration between those three is just off the charts on this song. And I think, Absolutely. I mean, there's different, part, there's different parts of the record where Page and Bonham are really, really working together. And there's different parts of the uh, album where John Paul Jones and Bonham are really working. This is all three of them, like really, really finding their niche together. And I think that's why it's the closer. If I'm being honest, I think you're spot on. I, I mean, this is, in my opinion, the most complex song on the album. First off, um, and I think everything comes together. They're they're like really a true band. That there's a lot of, you know, sync, you know, with all of them on this. You know, it's the longest song on the album. I think it's a perfect spot. You know, we talk about the positioning. As an ending uh, song to the album, I think it's the best. I think Bottom's phenomenal in the last song. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with John wholeheartedly. This is kind of like, they're together. Like this song is like a band. This is not a bunch of musicians. This is a band. This is like one. Yeah, it's not different parts. Like even like we were talking about Days and Confused, how each of them stand out in Days and Confused. It's sure. it different parts of the song. Like this is just in harmony yeah the harmony yeah, exactly yeah that's that's the 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 perfect word they're they're together like this is a complete together song i would assume that this was probably the last song that they recorded together like because sometimes you know when you make an album just because you come up with songs in a certain order doesn't mean that orders how the album is but i would imagine this was the last song that they made for for at least this album like this truly was you know the collaboration point yeah, and you know what? Even if it wasn't the first, the last song they wrote for it, it was the last one they recorded. I would, I would think, I would think this was the last song they recorded for the record, for sure. Yeah, just the way the musicianship works with it. Definitely. Last thing I want to do, um, if you guys want to add anything else, you can. I'm just going to give you guys a story. And John and I talked about this on previous podcasts. It's about my sister, who I, I don't talk about family a lot. I'm not going to mention her name or anything like that, but. We, I had a long conversation with her one night about regrets, and specifically related to music. And her worst music regret is probably worse than mine. <laughs> mine, mine was not. All right, mine was definitely not on the same level as, as hers. So one night she had an option, you know, because Led Zeppelin before they broke up was playing and so was Pearl Jam in probably like the fucking heyday of Pearl Jam, you know, like the early nineties. And she chose to go see Pearl Jam at Madison Square Garden and skipped Led Zeppelin somewhere else. And she told me that was like 
one of the biggest mistakes of her life. Not yes, musically for sure, but certainly, you know, or, or I'm sorry. Yes. In general, but certainly, you know, musically. Gotcha. And well, she went to Pearl Jam. She, she said Pearl Jam was not the best that night. Cause she she's already seen Pearl Jam like three times before then. And she highly regrets missing Led Zeppelin, which I can relate to in a few different instances. Well, your sister shouldn't be too hard on herself because she didn't miss Led Zeppelin. She probably missed Paige and Plant together because Led Zeppelin broke up in the early 80s, shortly after Bonham's death. And then what she missed was probably a, one of the Page and Plant tours when they got back together in the early to mid 90s. Okay. Where, yeah. Correct. So it wasn't quite Led Zeppelin. But they, Led Zeppelin would get back together for a series of shows in, I want to say, 2008. I might have the years wrong. They, with, wasn't uh, that Live 8? There was a huge no 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 no. They, they did play. They, they did, did play, play live. live aid. They did play. They did Three play songs, live aid. They did play live aid though. The the original live aid. Uh, they played in Philly with Phil Collins on drums. Um, Phil Collins that day, I believe, played drums for Phil Collins, Black Sabbath, and Led Zeppelin. If I'm correct. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, and Genesis. Yeah. And played both, uh, both. He England played both and, arenas. And, yeah, and, he flew. And he flew from one to he, the other. Yeah. Are you but, kidding uh, me? Led, no. No. Yeah. And uh, I Led Zeppelin that. did. Led Zeppelin did. Uh, Led Zeppelin did get back together with uh, Jason Bonham on uh, on drums. John yeah, Bonham's John's kid. Son. Interesting. And they played. They played. They played like. Uh, they played like four nights at the Garden, and then they did like four nights at. Uh, Royal Albert Hall in England. I think it, it was it was sometime in the late aughts. I don't know the year exactly, but I remember thinking, "I'm totally gonna fly to England and check it out." And then, <laughs> well, that was the big thing with, with when Live Eight was a thing. Live Pink Floyd. That was the last time Pink Floyd played a show together, and like people yes. flew to fucking the UK to go see yeah. Pink Floyd. And then a couple years later, when Roger Waters was doing his. Uh, wall mick got behind the kit and uh doug gilmore just appeared to play guitar so that would have been the last official time they played together but that wasn't announced that was just kind right, of like just a, a one random deal. shit they did they did comfortably numb together but yeah that was like a really big deal when uh pink floyd played live aid that was uh i remember i remember we like stopped at work at my farmer's market and like went upstairs in my ball and watched it on my boss's tv like they told you on the hawk like oh pink floyd's getting ready to start we were like ranting up the stairs but like sorry customers <laughs> we're, we're gonna go watch pink floyd yeah I was, I, was, I was in philly at the time because they had you know it was like a global show and i remember watching pink floyd in philadelphia on their you know the big screens they had in the park I was actually DJing a picnic. I remember because it was Live Aid. It was a big deal. And I somebody had booked me. Um, they had booked me to DJ the picnic way in advance. And it happened to be on that day. And I was like, oh, man, I would love to have gone to this. And in Philly, you know, it's close. And, you know, obviously people weren't as lucky as us to be on the East Coast to be able to you know, drop right in. But I remember listening some music on, on the radio. Like uh, Maybe it was one of the local stations covering it. Um, and then just thinking, oh, how cool would it have been to go, to go there? 
All right, guys. Was there anything else you want to add or should we close it out? Um, I would say that I agree with, um, with Ace Fraley. If you've never heard uh, that first Led Zeppelin record, you should definitely check it out. You know that. <laughs> should, should we spell it for people just to make sure they, they know which, what it is? It, oh, one. here's another thing. Interesting tidbit about this record. This was my first CD. Really? really? Wow. First yeah, CD, but not first. first album. Like you had like tapes or yeah. records or something. Yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. I had I had okay. been a music fan for years by that point. I was in I was in uh, fifth grade. My parents finally got me a CD player for Christmas, and my first three CDs were uh, Nirvana Incesticide, nice. um, Guns N' Roses, <laughs> Usual Illusion Two, and mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin One. Wow. So those were those were my first three CDs. So Led Zeppelin one was one of my first three CDs, and it was really fun um, revisiting uh, revisiting it. John, you had uh, great parents, just so you know. My parents wouldn't <laughs> yeah, listen par- to anything even close to that. <laughs> yeah, my parents. My parents were cool. My parents were cool. <laughs> parents still are cool. Yeah. Well, I just want to say I want to you know give a shout out to my one of my uh, childhood friends, Mario, who turned me on to Led Zeppelin back when we were in high school. Um, you know, didn't really know much about them. And, uh, back when we were in our late teens, you know, driving around the neighborhood, listening to music and he's like, Oh, you got to listen to this. And I start liking Led Zeppelin, um, because of that, you know, he got me turned on to it and we used to listen to it, him and a couple other guys we used to hang out with. And, um, then I start digging deeper into it and dig, digging deeper into it and, uh, learn to appreciate it, uh, more and more. Oh yeah. I'll throw out two for you guys as well. Bob's dad, I won't say names because I don't know who cares and who doesn't give a shit, but Bob's dad, first person who was like, really, like you gotta listen to Zeppelin, playing poker with his dad and like, like listening to Zeppelin for the first time. That was my first experience. And then shout out to Chad. When I got to California, I was looking for new music to listen to. He's like, you ever listen to Zeppelin? Like I've, I've listened to Zeppelin, like, you know, randomly, mostly through Bob's dad when we're playing poker and shit. And he was like, no, 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 listen to it with headphones on. And he gave me, you know, a CD with like the four albums on there. And I was like, right. oh my God. Yeah. Totally different. Like totally different, like focusing and listening with headphones on than casually listening in the background. Absolutely. And it's a different feel. I mean, you know, it's just totally different feel. Thank you guys for listening to this show. This has been the Enthusiast Music Podcast. John, thank you for joining me today. John, where can people find you? Again, that would be on Twitter, SloopJ232, and on Instagram, SloopJohn232. Frank, how about you? Where can people check you out if they want to keep up with you? On Twitter as well, FLD15, and on Instagram, 15FLD15. If you guys want to keep up with me, it's at from NJ2CA. The two is a number two. Remember to follow the company. It's at an enthusiast on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. You guys can follow us on all those things. Make sure you ring the bell, subscribe, like the video, all that good stuff. Remember to follow us over on Patreon and give us some support over there if you can. Patreon.com slash enthusiast. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month. Get access to exclusive videos early ad-free access to almost all of our videos, and you can vote on poll topics over there as well. We truly do appreciate your support. 
Thank you for listening to this episode, and until next time, you guys take care.